Hello, welcome to the Double Double. My name is Kelly Hogan, and joining me as always from his home in Brooklyn, David Dixon. David, what's up? What's going on, Kelly? Beautiful weather here in the Big Apple. Summer, summer seems to be on the way, and always one of the key, you know, things that leads into summer is is a great NBA Finals, and we got a lot to talk about with uh, with this year's version. Yeah, I mean the Warriors are certainly depleted, but through two games, it looks like we have an entertaining series on our hands. What are you kind of thinking about and looking at as this series transitions back to the Bay? Back to the Bay, the the key storyline is just the Warriors' health. The Steve Kerr announced today, we're recording this on, on Tuesday, June 4th, that Kevin Durant will not play in Game 3, which I guess is, I wouldn't say shocking, but it's it's a little surprising because it was always the, the, the target was Game 3 and 4, and so it's a little surprising to hear that that he's out. I think Clay is still questionable. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's still the tagline. And Looney is out indefinitely as it turns out that he broke his collarbone in a fall in game two, which which looked bad. And I, and I think that's going to be a big loss for them. So I think just going back to the Bay, it's how healthy are the Warriors? I think you're right. And this is a team that lacked depth to begin with. They sacrificed much of that when they got Kevin Durant a few years ago. And then Kevin Durant's been out, which was supposed to be just a slight calf strain where he was going to be sidelined for a week or two. And after the game on Wednesday, it'll be over four weeks. So I'm not sure if he's coming back this season, quite frankly. You see him limping in some of these videos, walking to the plane, walking through the airport, and everyone's playing armchair doctor. But from my vantage point, I don't think Kevin Durant is playing again this season. Clay is an injury they can't afford to have. Yeah, he a key pin, obviously, along with Steph, but just what he's been able to do in this series and kind of throughout this Golden State run. I'm not really sure that might be the tipping point or the point of no return for Golden State, where if Clay is out, I do not think they can win this series. Yeah, and he's a warrior. No pun intended. The dude is just so durable that he just he he kind of just shakes things off in a way and just plays through things that. I was honestly surprised that he even left game two. And, and if the fact that he left game two made me really wonder just how bad it was because he tried to you know, shake it off and play through it, and, and he just couldn't. So I think he'll play game three. We'll see how effective he is. But as if he's on the court, I think Thompson is going to be good. Be good. I think that the loony loss is, is a really big deal for the Warriors because he's been so good for them, not just this postseason, but the whole season. He is a great screen setter, moves the ball well, can offer a rebound and plays really good defense. And the combination of Looney and the, with the way that Cousins played in game two, it would have been so dangerous going back to the Bay. And But now you're relying on, on Cousins to play a lot of minutes again, which is something that he hasn't done because of the injuries. I totally agree with you. I think the loss of Looney... A couple years ago, he was kind of like, you know, he's the fifth wheel out there. They just kind of need a big man. He was the token seven-footer. He's really turned himself into quite a good player. And now you're going to have to rely not only on Boogie, because I think Boogie can probably give you about 30 reliable minutes a game. He played 28 in game two, and that was probably pushing his limits coming off that, that quad injury and the Achilles. But now without Looney, you're going to have to rely on Bogut and Jarebko and, and Bell. And 
also like from from Draymond's perspective Draymond is not going to be able to be as aggressive defensively as he would like to be because he has to be conservative with his fouls right for sure for sure because if all of a sudden Draymond gets in foul trouble who is who's coming in to back him up so I think that's another key component of Looney's injury is that it affects kind of how aggressive Draymond can play defensively and that is kind of the, the straw that stirs the Warriors drink for sure and and I think Bogut in in limited minutes can be really good because he he just knows how to play the game the right way and the way that the Warriors play without Durant just with ball movement and player movement playing super fast Bogut can do that really well and you saw that in game two he comes in throws a bunch of really nice passes gets a bunch of lobs just from being in the right spot you know and his basketball IQ is just really high and he can really defend the rim well and if but if he, you know he hasn't played that much this this whole season and if because I don't think Cousins is really like a rim protector rim protector the way that Looney and Bogut is and definitely not with Green so if Green gets in foul trouble you're just relying on as you said Bogut and Bell to play really meaningful minutes in a key role of protecting the rim which is something that the Raptors do a really good job at of, of getting there with Siakam and and Leonard especially yeah I have a, I have a question for you so really the first three halves. Of this series, I you can make the argument we're dominated by the Raptors. And let's say the first 70 minutes. So first 48 minutes of game one, and then the first 22 minutes up till the two-minute mark in the second quarter by the Raptors. They I think they thoroughly outplayed Golden State. And then Golden State cut their their deficit from eleven to five at halftime and then came out and just you know, they, they, it was an avalanche in Toronto, and suddenly the Warriors went on an 18-0 run and kind of threw the threw the Raptors on their heels, and they weren't able to recover. Classic Warriors. Classic Warriors, and that's what I'm saying. We've seen time and time again the Warriors, you know, come out and just blitz guys, start of the second half, third quarter. What are you supposed to do? Because we've seen it happen so many times, and yet it just keeps repeating itself. I'm not sure if there's any adjustments the, the Raptors can make, but... Honestly, as a fan, it's it's exciting to watch, but it's frustrating at the same time because you know what's coming and you can't stop it. It's it's like watching a movie and knowing the ending because you've seen the movie 28 times before. And when you watch the Warriors come out in the third quarter, you know exactly what they're going to do because we've seen it for years now that they come out and they dominate that that third quarter in a way that doesn't really make any sense it's it's almost like they have to get down double digits at halftime to get them to wake up and and play hard and what what i've seen and now you know i'm just a, an armchair expert here and it seems like a lot of times that the teams who really struggle and the wars go on those third quarter runs is that they start trying to shoot threes to to stay with them, which you can't do because the Warriors not only are an elite three-point shooting team, but when they go on these runs, they get so many layups and dunks. It's ridiculous. And so you saw the Raptors, especially in game two, start settling for so many faraway shots that when they definitely could have been more aggressive driving to the basket and trying to put pressure on the rim and draw, and draw a whistle, if you rely on the three ball to try to stop the run that's not going to get that, that's not going to beat you or that, that's not going to help you beat the run and beat the warriors when they're going like that you have to almost just take the twos and just say we're going to limit this to an 18 to 8 run and not 18 to 0 
Yeah, and to piggyback off of that, when it starts getting all frantic and the Warriors, because teams know what the Warriors are capable of, so when all of a sudden the avalanche begins, it's like, uh-oh. And they start they start trying to play quick, and I think you, know, you, you want to pick your spots in transition against the Warriors. I think that's a key point. When they're playing fast, that doesn't just mean, oh, we have to play fast as well. You, you have to try and, I think, dictate terms to a degree. And obviously the Raptors didn't do that. But also just off your point there, when everyone knows what the Warriors are capable of, this was the first time that the Raptors have experienced this type of third quarter from, from the Warriors. So in a, in, with, with the West, like the Rockets and, and the Blazers and the Thunder, they've experienced this type of thing before. But this is the first time that the Raptors have been on the other side of a Steph Curry tornado 18-0 run. My counter, I guess, would be Kawhi and Danny Green have experienced it. But you're right, the the larger body of the Raptors hasn't. So hopefully hopefully for their sake, they've that doesn't happen again. But history has seemed to repeat itself quite often. So I wouldn't I wouldn't count on that. Yeah. Honestly, I just think like one of the major differences between game one and game two, and it's you know, it's pretty obvious, but Pascal Siakam made shots in game one and he missed them in game two. And a lot of times we hear people say, you know, it's a make or miss league. And Pascal Siakam, if he's able to score like he was in game one, one-on-one against Draymond, I think the Raptors are going to be tough to beat. And from my perspective, I think that's kind of what the series is going to come down to. Is Pascal Siakam ready to be the Robin to Kawhi's Batman? I, I don't know. And, you know, that might play a factor in what Kawhi chooses to do in terms of his future options. But I'm not sure if Siakam is ready for this moment. And, you know, over the next... Hopefully five games, time will tell. I'm right there with you. Game one was clearly the best version of Siakam. 14 for 17 from the field, eight rebounds, five assists. That's like the best Pascal Siakam version. And then game two, he goes five for 18 from the field. So now we've probably seen the weakest of his game. And we haven't really seen the that consistent, steady level. And we really haven't seen it the whole postseason. He's so up and down that if he could... But I agree with you that if he can put a couple of good games together of 20-ish plus points with uh, seven or eight rebounds and, and a few assists, that to add on to the 30-ish that Kawhi is going to have, that's a huge, huge plus for the Raptors because their whole thing this whole postseason is we know Kawhi is going to have 30 to 40 points. Where is that next 60 to 70 going to come from? Just speaking of Kawhi quickly, he had 23 in game one and then he had 34 and 14 in game two and he's he's feasting from the free throw line but are, would you agree that I don't think Kawhi has played that well this series I think there's still a lot of room for him to kind of improve and quite frankly he doesn't look fully healthy to me he looks like he's like laboring as he runs up and down the court are you seeing the same thing yeah though, though he's so hard because he's so he's he's not very expressive so it's like he, yeah. <laughs> it does look like he's it does look like he's he's laboring a bit but it's also you know he, he doesn't wear his emotions on his sleeve either right that's just kind of you know his his resting face as they say yeah but you know with Leonard he did he kind of the same thing with Milwaukee I I think one of the things that makes Leonard so good is that he understands the seven game series in a way that he doesn't bring his A++ game into game one. He kind of feels out the other team, feels out how he's being guarded, and then once he recognizes his, his advantage, like what he did against Milwaukee, he just attacks, and he makes you pay. So I think he's gonna he's been watching a lot of film the last couple of days. 
He's figuring out how the Warriors are guarding him. Obviously, the Warriors are going to adjust and try something new. But if but if they don't, or, the, or if Leonard's able to recognize that, I think we're going to see some big games out of Kawhi in Oakland in games three and four, just from his ability to recognize and adapt. And then the other guy for the Raptors, who's certainly an X-factor, Marc Gasol, prior to the series, I didn't think he was unplayable, but I thought it would be tough for him to kind of carve out a role in this series and in game one he was sensational he had 20 and 7 and then in game two he performed how I thought he would perform heading into the series he only had six and six I think that's another interesting component to keep an eye on now especially that Looney is out because that was kind of the matchup so now is is Gasol going to be able to feast on on some of these other guys and if Bogut is in there playing minutes they're going to tweak with the matchup so someone can play free safety but I don't think anyone should be guarding Andrew Bogut unless he's posted on the block. Like, if this dude wants to catch on the elbow, like a lot of the Warriors' actions involve, I'm letting him catch there. And essentially, Andrew Bogut, if you want to drive to the basket and try and make a contested layup, we will live with that. We are not going to live with Steph and Clay if, he, if he's healthy, shooting threes. Because we have seen over the course of the past five years, when it's crunch time, they're not missing. I, I agree that that you don't have to guard them in that way, but the Warriors are so good at moving without the ball, especially Curry and Thompson, that, and the, a lot of the strategy is that you switch, and, you know, I, 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 I think that just the pure switch strategy isn't always the answer, but definitely when they never call a moving screen and Bogut can basically headhunt the guy trailing Curry and Thompson, that you almost have to switch that, or at least heavy show. And so, we see this a lot with the Warriors too is that guys become so focused on that playing that free safety and helping so much that they completely abandon Bogut and that doesn't become a switch that just becomes a dude ends up on the ground with a sore shoulder from running into the chest of Andrew Bogut and a wide open three for Curry so I think it's a little bit of of an adjustment of making sure that you're showing when those guys are catching the ball so that you don't get slipped and backdoored which is what happens a lot against the Warriors what makes them so good but with, but with Gasol, it was clear that the Warriors saw how he was guarding them in game one, and they adjusted, and they got him away from the basket. And we'll see what the Raptors do in game three to, to, to counter that, because Nick Nurse makes good adjustments. I mean, Nick Nurse threw a box and one at Steph Curry. I Loved it. Loved it. I absolutely loved it. Steph Curry called it a janky defense. Because it is. My high school team, we used to see that. We had a we had a kid who went on to play at Notre Dame, and we used to see that all the time. But for a, a team in the NBA to throw that out, not only in an NBA game, but in the NBA Finals nonetheless. And, and not just in the NBA Finals, but with eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Like, totally stumped the Warriors. Like, they did not know what to do. And it's it's such an easy defense to break if you're prepared for it yeah but it just threw them off guard and they didn't know what to do fred van fleet channeled his inner matthew della vadova and just (laughs) and just you know stuck to curry like he was his shadow and i just i just couldn't believe it and i want to give a lot of credit to mark jackson because mark jackson recognized it right away and I don't know if that's out of five years of watching him in the finals and him, you know, just the coach and him being like, why isn't someone boxing one of them? But I give him a lot of credit. It was like they did it for one possession and he immediately recognized it, called it out, and it really worked. And it was janky. It's not a traditional defense, but Nick Nurse kind of just threw his hands up and said, hey, like, we got to try something. Like, they're 
cooking us. And, you know, we got to try something different. And the Warriors didn't score until that Iggy three at the end. Yeah, he kept it in his back pocket. And honestly, I don't think he's going to be able to use it again because the Warriors will be prepared. And if even if just Clay is healthy, if they just have a couple shooters out there, they're going to they're going to light up that that box in one. But just in the moment, I loved the ingenuity by Nick Nurse and I mean, I don't. Dwayne Casey wouldn't have done that. I think that's a little unfair to Dwayne Casey because I don't. <laughs> I, I don't even know how much this was in the back pocket of Nick Nurse. I, I have a feeling that they call a timeout. The players were in, in the huddle, and the coaches, you know, how they always huddle up before going in. And he was just kind of looked around. I was like, anyone got any ideas? And like the eighth assistant was like, how about a you know? Finally, got the courage to to speak up and said, box and one, box and one, Steph. And Nurse is kind of just like, F it, we're down by 10 anyway, why not just try it? Because when you watch them, it wasn't even like they were that comfortable in the box and one. In terms of like the defense, like like they didn't know the rotations, they were like, people were wide open. A lot of it was the Warriors missed, but it was like everyone was confused. The Raptors were confused playing the defense, the Warriors were confused going up against it. It was great. But also when you're in a box and one, it also affords Kawhi Leonard, not that he's totally resting on defense, but it's certainly easier standing in a in a spot and kind of guarding that area than having to chase the likes of Andre Iguodala or Steph Curry around the court. So for sure, for sure. Not only are they using an effective defense, but they're also buying a little bit of rest for Kawhi when, when he definitely needed it, you know? Yeah, I, I think that was an unintended positive consequence from playing that from playing that box and one agreed but i i just loved it and i could just see envisioning steve kerr seeing it for the first time and looking at his bench like they serious <laughs> and then watching his team not score and be like are we serious <laughs> it was the first time i was reading something this morning that steph curry had seen a box and one since college and it was at davidson he saw a triangle and two and the two guys were both on him and in that game, he was held to zero <laughs> points. And Davidson still won. So the other team basically was like, we'd rather play four on three than guard Steph Curry straight up, which is incredible if you think about it. I mean, if you think about it, that's what teams do against the Warriors uh, a lot of the time. And basically what the Raptors did on that final possession, which, which I want to talk about next, where double teaming Curry, maybe traveled, maybe not, and whips it to Livingston. Lazy pass. Probably Kawhi probably should have stolen it. And then just teams just leave Iguodala and Draymond open all game. It's basically like they play four on three, doubling KD or Steph a lot of the times anyway. That was such a ballsy shot by Iguodala. I know he had to take it. You knew it was going in, though. Uh, honestly, I was surprised when it went in. I was like, that is a terrible shot. Because I thought the Raptors should have fouled when Draymond had the ball at half court. Because you don't want to foul Steph because that's, that's basically giving up a layup. Yeah. But Draymond, you hope he misses one. That shot by Iguodala, he took it with like, I, I want to say five seconds left on the shot clock. And if he were to miss that, the Raptors still had timeouts. All of a sudden, Raptors are down two with the ball at midcourt with seven seconds left. Granted, the Warriors are still in prime position to win that game. But considering where the game was with about a minute and a half left when the Warriors were up eight, that would have been a disastrous loss. Going back to Oracle and you're suddenly you're down 2-0 and Clay's hurt, that would have been that would have been a nightmare for Golden State. I mean, just 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 think about what the narrative change would have been going to this going to game three if, as you said, either Leonard steals that pass. Let's let me go down that what if first. So Leonard steals that pass. He goes down, he makes a bucket or gets fouls, and the Raptors end up winning. Nick Nurse gets 
lauded as this unbelievable coach, the boxing one, Masai Ujiri, the gamble paid off. That's the whole narrative, right? And then on the flip side is the Warriors need KD again. Steph is bad in the finals. He's lazy. You know, he's not as good as everyone thinks. And then, the, as you said, with, with the injuries. And then the what if of if Iguodala misses, I still think it's a lot of the same thing, just minus the Steph Curry, a bit more praise about the Raptors and Nurse and Kawhi. But, and then the Iguodala, the, the, the storyline coming out of game two is Iguodala, is he a Hall of Famer or not? I, I think Iguodala is a Hall of Famer, but I want to get your opinion on this. Yeah. I think the Warriors, we're going to not include Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr's going to get in as a coach. It, there, there's no way around it. He's getting in as a coach. Of course, yeah. I think the Warriors have six Hall of Fame players on their active roster. What do you think? So that would be Durant, Curry, Thompson. Draymond, Iguodala, and Boogie. Do you think Boogie's going to get in? I mean, like he does have a lot of time. The, the NBA Hall of Fame is so di- diluted. That's but true. But I do think Boogie's getting in. That, that's totally a tangent, but I think they have six Hall of Famers on their active roster. I think that's a stretch. I think it's definite four, and you could argue if it's Draymond or Iguodala for the fourth. Draymond is a lock. You think he's a lock lock? I think he's a lock. He's a total lock, yes. On my standards, I'm not sure Iguodala's a Hall of Famer. Boogie's not a Hall of Famer. Draymond's borderline. But the precedent the NBA has set, it's just, we can talk about this another time, but the NBA Hall of Fame is... It's got to be blown up and like started over. The Bill Simmons model. Pantheons, baby, pantheons. But so, yeah, you're probably at four with five, five probably, because I think Iguodala gets in. And Boogie, just with his injuries, I don't know where he gets to in the career points and rebounds, because that's going to be a big thing for him. So he's iffy for me right right now. But I but I yeah. think Iguodala gets in, but it's like it's amazing where, where the storyline goes after game two if he misses Oh, Iguodala's not that good. He's, you know, one sneeze away from throwing out his back. He's always got these little injuries. He's not the same anymore. Now it's like Iguodala's a Hall of Famer, the no stats all-stars. You know, Iguodala's the the glue guy who keeps this whole team together. It's amazing how one shot changes the whole narrative in these games because we analyze it so much with like every second and every game recaps. It's like we we need we need sample size, right? Econ majors, baby. Carl Bolware. <laughs> Shout out Carl Bolware. No, I agree. And in, in Kawhi's pending free agency, after game one, they won. Oh, he has enough help. He's going to stay. After game two, he doesn't have enough help. He's going to leave. Like, let's just let things play out and see where the chips may fall. And we'll kind of we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. Heading into games three and four, obviously Golden State has home court, but I think both teams would be happy with a split. Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Toronto would regain home court. And Golden State would kind of buy some time in hopes that KD gets healthy. And honestly, if I was Golden State, I wouldn't play Clay in game three just because this looks like it could be a long series. And if he reaggravates that, there's a chance he misses the rest of that series. And that would be disastrous for Golden State. So I think, you know, heading into these next two games, if. The series is two to two. I think both sides would be very happy. I'm going to amend my previous statement. I disagree. I think slightly, slightly. I think that if Durant doesn't play game three or four and it's two, two, the Warriors are a little concerned. But if it's three, one and Durant hasn't played, obviously they're ecstatic. I think Thompson's going to play game three because I don't, because if he's healthy, enough to play i don't think that they can afford to hold him out for precautionary reasons as you're saying and 
the dude's just a gamer. I think he, he's going to get to the level where he can play. But I also don't know if the Warriors can win without Durant and Thompson. I think that's I think that's too much. And I think that then the Raptors would, would win Game Three, and it'd be all this pressure on Durant to come back in Game Four and like be the hero and save the day. And it's he'll be rusty, and maybe the Raptors can steal that one, and they'll be up three one. And we all know what happens with the Warriors in three one. For the record, I think no matter who plays. I think Warriors are getting both of these games. It's a kind of a common sentiment around the NBA. Role players play better at home. I've been saying it for months. Exactly. Preach. Fred Van Vliet, Danny Green, a lot of these guys who made big shots over the first two games in Toronto, all of a sudden they're on the road and they have 18,000 fans yelling at them in a rowdy environment. Not so much that they get rattled, but they're just not comfortable. Kawhi can only do so much. He's had to shoulder so much of the load this is pascal siakam's really his first true test and i spoke to it earlier i think he's the x factor moving forward i picked the warriors in six before the series and that was thinking everyone would be semi-healthy and half the team is i mean i heard i heard Stephen a say i don't even know why i'm listening to Stephen a but i was in the car he's he was awesome. on the radio and he was saying the warriors aren't even players anymore they're patients everyone's hurt <laughs> That's I was brilliant, assuming by the way. Health. That is brilliant. I was assuming health <laughs> when I said Warriors in six, and they're not healthy, but I'm, I'm still going to pick Warriors in six. I think the Warriors get both of these games in Oracle, goes back to Toronto, Kawhi gets one final game in, in the six, wins that, goes back to Oracle, and um, I think the Warriors win in six, and I'm not even, I don't think KD returns at all. I think KD will return. I think he's back game five. I think I think game five is when he comes back. Now this kind of feels like when we were talking off the podcast about Kawhi Leonard last year when you know we would have lunch at used in and be like, So when do you think Kawhi's coming back? I'd be like, Oh, you know, March, March. They they, they play the Warriors and then that and then that game would come and you know he wouldn't play. And then I'd be like, Oh, playoffs, yeah, playoffs and you know, they would then he wouldn't play. <laughs> I I think Durant would be back game five. I think Thompson is fine. I think he'll play game three and four. I think this will go. I think they'll split one one, be two two going back to Game Five in Toronto, because I think one thing that we haven't mentioned is Kyle Lowry only played twenty eight minutes in Game Two, fouled out, and that's a big thing to watch going forward because Lowry's a vet. He chases down loose balls like no other player in the postseason, maybe even in the whole league, and he's he's kind of like a, a glue guy for them, and if he can, he he will play better. As he'll be on the floor more. If you, if you just look at the minutes played of the of the Raptors, it's Siakam played forty one, Leonard at thirty nine, Gasol thirty one, Van Vliet thirty eight. If you can get Lowry in there for an extra six or seven and keep La- and keep Van Vliet on the bench, that could work out better for the Raptors because Lowry's just better than as much as I love Fred Van Vliet. I, Lowry's just a little bit better, more than a little bit. So I think that's one thing to watch going forward. It, you know, you know, I'm not going to turn my back on the six now. Raptors and seven. We, we we got too many fans in Toronto. I I want to come visit. You know, be, you know, I can't go from like the, the Toronto's favorite podcast to their least favorite podcast. So you're you're sticking with it. I cannot see Toronto winning three more games in this series. We'll see what happens. But I, I, do, do you think Katie's played? So you think Katie's coming back for game five, but you also said you thought he'd be back for game three and the timetable keeps getting set back. 
personally, I think Kevin Durant has played his last game in a Golden State uniform. What do you think about that statement? I think that is false. But also what you proved with your initial statement about the title being pushed back is that I, you know, we don't know anything. I don't know anything. I'm not Kevin Durant. I, I'm not his doctor. I don't know how his calf is feeling. Uh, the same way we didn't know how Kawhi was feeling last year. And, you know, as both of us have battled injuries, you're, you know, you are the only one who knows how hurt you are. And if Durant doesn't feel like he can play, then he's not going to play. But I think he's a gamer. I think he pays attention to so much of the narrative that he understands that the narrative is if the Warriors win without, win the, the championship without him playing because he's hurt, it'll be, oh, they never needed him to begin with. And if, he wants to be the player that he is considered all time. It's that he needs to be considered this guy who they need in a way. Because if you talk about his free agency, right, it's he's going to go win with him being the man because that team needs him to win. And at the narrative leaving the Warriors is, oh, they never needed him anyway. It's kind of what we all thought going into it. So if he can change the narrative somehow from when he, when he signed, which is they don't they 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 don't need him. Why is he signing there? This is cheap it's rigged or whatever it's unfair and then leaving it's oh they actually didn't need him would be a big narrative change and i think that would help push the our vision of durant up in the all-time rankings all the teams that are hoping to pursue kevin durant this summer what they want is for golden state to win a championship where kevin durant doesn't suit up i think he's gonna leave regardless if he plays or not and if they win if they lose i think he'll come back Or, or maybe that it's just more likely because then he's not the mercenary. He's he's not the, you know, I'm trying to think of a of a reference here. He's not like a hired gun. Yeah, he's he's not a hired gun. He's he's not SEAL Team Six coming in <laughs> to do you know public safety at at West. Like completely <laughs> unnecessary. Like they can do the job. Shout out Peace Safe. But, uh. Yeah, so if they lose, then it's like they need Durant. You know, this team isn't unbeatable and everything. So we'll see. But I, I definitely think he's out. Shout out New York Knicks, James Dolan, Jimmy D. Do what you got to do, Rich Kleinman. You know, you know, you know. Side tangent here, but Kleinman talking about at, at the Wall Street Journal conference with Jason Gay that you know Durant isn't one hundred percent certain about what he's about what he's doing. Okay, guy. So he's not 100% certain. That could also mean he's 99% certain. That could mean he's 98% certain. Like, just because you're not 100%. No one's 100% certain about anything. Like, like if we went out to lunch, Kelly, and we went out and said we're 100% certain that, that we we're going to go get burgers, and then we walk by a taco truck that looks delicious, maybe we change the tacos. Like, we're probably only 98% certain. So... This whole 100% certain thing is I don't agree with. The only thing I'm 100% certain on, if we're going to Chipotle and we're in line, I'm 100% certain of what I'm getting in my burrito bowl. Yeah. But outside of that, I agree. Everything is subject to change. And I think it's realistic to assume he hasn't made up his mind. And what happens in this finals will play a, kind of a role in, in what he decides to do. Same with Kawhi. Or maybe we're both totally wrong. And like everyone else in sports media, we're overanalyzing and microanalyzing every one of these guys' decisions. And... Uh, who who knows what these guys decide but personally i think kevin durant just seeing him walk around and he's still limping how is he going to compete on the highest stage in 
less than a week's time. I just don't see that. I think he's played his last game as a Golden State Warrior. Well, you know, they've made a lot of advances in, in medicine. There's there's these things called, uh, you know, painkillers and horse tranquilizers. So who knows what they'll give him. But I think he'll play. And uh, I don't know kind of what will happen to him afterwards because we always see these guys who play. Mikhail played on, on a broken foot and was never really the same. So these guys do whatever they can to win, and, and we'll see what what Durant decides to do to to try to win a championship. He's he's definitely doing better than Clint Frazier these days. Did you see what uh, what Clint Frazier did today? Well, well, Clint just has to stop diving for plays in plays in right field because my guy, you know, the key is you know keeping the ball in front. They they teach you that as an eight year old, and. You know, don't die for the ball when it's 40 feet away from you. You're costing us runs. Yes, you're hitting well, but the more you're a liability out there, we're going to send you back down to AAA. This is bottom line business. He makes like three errors in the same inning. He comes out today. He's like, I get picked on unfairly. It's because of my hair and the number I choose to wear. I'm like, dude, you're a professional baseball player. What numbers? He's 77. I don't, I have no idea what he's referencing, but it's like, dude. You're, you play right field right now because Aaron Judge is out for the New York Yankees. Tighten it up a little bit. You know why? You know why people criticize you, Clint? It's because you're hitting the crap out of the ball. You're playing really well offensively. And we think you're, you know, we're trying to decide if you're a borderline all-star or not. And if you can't play right field, either you're going to go play left where it's much, much easier or you're a DH, which is totally fine. You know, there's been a lot of really good DHs. But we, this is the Yankees, and if you can't handle a little criticism because fundamentally we want the best players and play in the best spot, and if you're not good enough for right field, then you're not going to play right field, and you'll go play left. Or you can go play for the San Francisco Giants, and we'll trade you for Madison Bumgarner. How about that, Clint? No, no, you've just been listening to too much Mad Dog. Mad Dog is a Giants fan, you have to remember. He's inherently biased. No, I know. And as much as, as, much as I like Mad Bum, I... I think you know his. He's got a lot of innings on him and a lot of wear and tear on, on that on that left arm of his. But we will see. We will see. Yanks took two out of three against the Sox. Shout out, Coach B. I know you were watching the Bruins, but you know we got baseball still going on, man. That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Five stars would be much appreciated. If you have any feedback for the show, good, bad, or indifferent, you can shoot us an email. Our email address is double double four zero two at gmail.com. We also have a Twitter account. Our handle is DBL underscore DBL podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. Take care and make it a great day.